When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. feminist podcast hello and welcome to feminism ruins everything we are a feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them like we ruined jk rowling's transphobic tweets hopefully if you haven't listened to our uh our our debut episode of taboo tuesday Mm. uh today we talked uh this this week we talked about transphobia and turfs and jk rowling and how she is really transphobic and shouldn't be uh, we, we ruined that. Yeah, as we should have. As we should have. Today, however, we are discussing The Sound of Music. Uh, this is, you know, such a, a staple in musical theatre history. Um, it's such a core part of the music theatre canon. Written by Rodgers and Hammerstein, who are probably the best-known composers of, like, arguably, yeah. the, the 20th century. And definitely kind of what everyone thinks of when they think of Golden Age Musical theatre, mm-hmm. yeah. But before before we get into our discussion, we just want to highlight the fact that the the Black Lives Matter movement is and should be at the forefront of the cu- cultural conversation yeah. right now. The movement is ongoing and it's going to keep happening until people of colour um, have the same rights and have the same privileges as as their white counterparts. And that's that's a very long way away. So we're going to keep talking about this movement until we see change. And uh, we're, we're going to do our best to continue to highlight uh, the voices uh, of of people of color. Uh, for example, uh, we're, we're going to link in the description of this episode a number of podcasts made by uh, black, indigenous, or people of color uh, mm-hmm. creators. And uh, we highly encourage you to diversify the content that you're listening Absolutely, to. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Mim, you've been listening to uh, Pretty for an Aboriginal? I have been, and I really love it. Um, it's very fun. Like it's two, it's two young Aboriginal women um, it, talking to a, a bunch of their friends. Like some of whom are also Indigenous. Like I just listened to an episode they did with Briggs, oh, and nice. it was great because he's a legend. Um, and it's like it's really relatable um, content on in the sense that you know they're they're funky young women, but also at the same time they're giving a really important insight into what it's like to be an Aboriginal Australian. So I'd highly recommend checking it out. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, uh, we here at Feminism Ruins Everything, we, we are striving to be uh, the most supportive allies that we can. Yeah, uh, we're doing our best. We're going to mess up, but we're trying to learn. <laughs> we're, tr- we're trying to learn. We're trying to always trying to better ourselves. And even so, uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as uh, being an, a good ally and a, a good activist, that does come up in our conversation with our special guest, who we will get yeah. to in a moment. Um, and we just wanted to reiterate the fact that we're we're not ignoring. No, the things that no. are going on, uh, we are encouraging uh, anyone to to keep this conversation going. Keep yeah. it at the forefront of your minds. Like we know that it it could come across as a bit tone deaf. The fact that we are talking about like we're giving a feminist critique to like a very white musical um, <laughs> at this time, and we just want you to know that we're very aware that 
we do need to continue to platform black voices and to continue that conversation and that was very much at the forefront of our minds when we were having this conversation and it, and it did um it did appear in our discussion so right now is not the time where feminist discourse needs to be at the height of um, public awareness and we know that and as our feminist platform what we aim to do is um, is really highlight uh, the voices of people of colour at this time and, and we're also striving to um, diversify our podcast because we're very aware that we, your two hosts, are very white so um, we will be engaging with some guests who are people of colour once this traumatic time period for them has um become less traumatic i don't want to say died down because i i don't want this movement to go away it's really important but um the the hurt will subside in time we hope for them on that on that note um we're very excited to have amy la palmer on our podcast Folks, I will not lie to you. When Ellis told me that he had confirmed with Amy LaPama that she was going to be our guest today, I fangirled <laughs> so hard. Uh, like, I called my best friend, Gemma, who is a huge fan of Amy LaPama, and I was, like, so excited. Um, like, same with my boyfriend. I was like, how am I going to have Amy LaPama? Because he's a huge fan, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, pretty much every person that I knew that I knew would know who Amy LaPama was, I was like, guys, <laughs> you will not believe um, you were surprisingly chilled in the actual conversation, though. It's because you told me that I had to be. Ellis was like, Mim, you've got to be professional when we talk to Amy LaPalma. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that I was. I think you were. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, uh, Amy LaPalma is a prolific performer in the Australian musical theatre industry. She won a Helpman Award in 2018 for Best Supporting Actress as Cynthia Vile in Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Uh, she's also appeared in shows such as Dusty, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Rock of Ages. Uh, I saw her in Once the Musical in <laughs> Melbourne, and it was phenomenal. What an incredible show. Uh, and I was also very fortunate to tour with her in School of Rock, where she was wonderful as Rosalie Mullins. Were you in School of Rock? You should have said something. I don't think I've brought it up before now. No, never. Uh, She's been very gracious to join us in discussing The Sign of Music and tell us about her process and time portraying Maria in the 2015-2016 Australian tour. And the cool thing is, for Ellis and I, when we were discussing Sound of Music before we knew that Amy was going to be our guest, was we were like the shining feminist light and the shining uh, beacon of this not being like another super conservative and kind of backwards Rogers and Hammerstein musical is that Maria is such a strong female lead. She is such a vehicle role for a woman. There are so many strong, there are far more female characters in the sound of music than there are men. There are like, there are four male characters in this entire show. There are the captain, there's Max. Oh, there's like the Nazis, I guess, but also like, you know, Nazis don't count. count as people. Oh yeah, there's Rolf. I forgot about Rolf and the two boys in the family. But like the women far outweigh the men. Yeah, that's so cool to me. Like, at, but at the same time, like it's it's a very feminist show for its time. Mm. And Maria, the character, embodies that. Like the fact that she is determined. The fact that she um, does not live up to societal expectations of what a woman should be in Austria in 1930. And she really. Um, 
she, she's a bit of a hot mess. That's how Amy <laughs> describes her, and I love that. But she, she makes mistakes, and she's committed to learning mm-hmm. and growing and being a caring person and living by her values. And I think she summarizes why, you know, on, on balance, this is kind of a feminist show. And with uh, getting Amy's expertise in on this was invaluable and really wonderful. And so I'm just going to hand ball over to uh, past Ellison Mim <laughs> and their discussion with Amy LaPalmer. I hope you enjoy. Here she is. Welcome to the podcast, Amy LaPalmer. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Happy to hear <laughs> For these, you know, strange times. Strange, Absolutely. yeah. It's, everybody's just kind of figuring out how to get through them, I think. <laughs> but we're yes. happy that you're doing well. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> so, Emmy, we're so, we're so excited to be talking to you today, um, giving, a, giving a feminist critique to The Sound of Music, because this is a show that you obviously are very intimately acquainted with, and we imagine that you have done a lot of uh, thinking about in terms of uh, the portrayal of the leading woman because you have played Maria in uh, the most recent touring production of The Sound of Music. Before we get started on, on the feminism side of things, do you just want to tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Um, so for some strange reason, Maria was my... I would say strange reason, but Maria was my absolute dream role. So I loved the film a lot Mm. as a kid. And then Julie Andrews just sort of became the benchmark of all things I could ever want to achieve, even though I'm not a soprano. So it was a weird (laughs) choice. Um, But uh, I do, I did, and I still do love her. And Mm. I don't know, there was some kind of weird thing that I decided that if I got to do professional musical theatre and the sound of music came along, I would kind of do everything I could to be Maria. So Mm. I weirdly, I don't know how, but convinced (laughs) a bunch of people to (laughs) make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah and um it happened and uh I'm so happy for you (laughs) given that context (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you um me too but it was uh (laughs) it was a strange one because watching the film for me I had all these ideas about her character and then obviously the musical and the film are uh a little bit different yeah. Mm, yeah. and when you when you get a script for anything you sort of want to throw the your previous ideas of it yeah. away mm-hmm. I think that's what that's sort of what we all I think as as performers sort of aspire to is like yes the source material but you know what am I working with on the page so that was sort mm. of important to me to connect with that and in connecting with that um I really felt like Maria was this sort of she's a bit of a tomboy and she's a bit Mm. uh she's definitely young and she's definitely not prim and she's definitely scrappy Mm. and (laughs) funny and yeah and all of these things kind of came through to me you know quite quickly with the in the in the kind of audition process because you realize she's a person that just blurts out her feelings she doesn't have a filter yeah and 
that part for me was the part that I really clung to and adored because there's so much in playing a role, so much in an expectation of something where people just know the music so well, have a voice in their head that they associate with it so well. I had to kind of throw that away knowing mm. that mm-hmm. I'm never going to sound like Julie Andrews. Bit of a harsh Especially in the live theatre context. anyone, even you. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's also like beyond that, you know, when you listen to a film, you're listening to someone who's recorded it in a recording studio. Yeah, you're not listening to someone that is breathing through running up and down yeah. singing Do Re Mi with a bunch yeah. of real life kids. You know, it's, and, like, it's a very it different many experience. times a week as well. Yeah. So, um, so I did kind of have to let go of that. And in the letting go of all of those ideas, I actually really found this um, kind of little wildling she's you know within kids i mean she was trying to be a nun so she wasn't that (laughs) she wasn't that bad but there was but she was she does have a um a streak about her that was very joyous and very alive Mm -hmm. and very responsive and that was they were sort of the things that i adored about playing her that i i guess the more i dug in and the more I discovered the more there was there to play with in that kind mm. of idea of yeah. Maria. Mm. Now the, uh, I mean one could argue that the most important relationship in The Sound of Music is between Maria and the captain. That's kind of the, the romance that mm. strings through the entire thing. Uh, what was it like uh, well when Maria and the captain first meet she is almost immediately defiant of his regiment and that that's kind of like one of the the first moments that stands out to me is Maria being a very independent person, being a feminist with, icon, being a feminist icon, <laughs> yeah. uh, particularly during that time, the the late nineteen thirties. Like, what was it like to tackle somebody who seemed quite progressive in her individual beliefs for that time period? Yeah, it's it's a funny one to me because I think that what Maria benefited from was growing up with nuns. So I think you can't separate the idea of her standing up to a man from the fact that she's been raised by women who Mm. are self-sufficient, who have a strong kind of sense of community and, and service and a connection you know so certainly there's the patriarchal ideas of god but mm-hmm. there is something about the way that you know a convent does um create that sisterhood yeah. literally um <laughs> where everybody has a, everybody has a role and everybody has mm-hmm. function mm-hmm. and they literally and, uh, survive and are self-sufficient without men yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and beyond that they they want the best for each other, I think. Mm-hmm. So so that going into a place where she can immediately determine that there's there's a sort of disconnect between what's best for the children yeah. and what's going on in, in that household is is something she has to speak to. She doesn't know not to speak to it. So mm. I think there's an element of naivety that allows her to be insubordinate. Uh, right. And it's what <laughs> takes, 
it's what takes it from being sassy to being honest. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there's that, she's not speaking, she, she's not kind of doing anything but just speaking truth and mm-hmm. being very clear and and it is a shock to the captain. Uh, she's also, you know, not engaged with material things. You know, he questions mm-hmm. her dress. She doesn't know why, you know. There's a kind of real purity to it. Yeah. And there's a childlike element to it as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. So I, it's it was a funny one for me because I definitely and have definitely wanted to play my feminism in roles mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and it's yeah. it is a really tricky one because it's not <laughs> you know as you've said like it's set in the in the 40s like it's not what necessarily was happening at that time so it's mm-hmm. not kind of the right thing but there is a way there is definitely a way of showing agency and way yeah. of showing um of of being clear and and strong in your communication as a woman in that time that I think Maria sort of does in spades and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, to say that it's the feminist spin is a, is a, is a <laughs> tricky one, but I do love, I do love the kind of the, the convent as being this kind of grounding force for her and that education from other women being this, you know, this yeah. force that allows her to, say what's right and wrong yeah yeah and i really love that perspective you've given about you know how the way that she's been raised and the the community that she um, is a part of has has shaped her worldview because to me where my brain goes is that she wouldn't have learnt an inherent gender bias like she would she would have arrived at this mansion and gone we're both adults you're not um, an authority figure just because you're a man i i feel very comfortable being able to stand up and she obviously feels very comfortable you know engaging with authority as well because you know she's got this you know strong relationship with the mother superior as well and so that um I, I really like that perspective that you know because of this community she's been raised in she hasn't had these worldviews of you know materialism or mm. or gender bias um you know hammered into her which is a really cool thing to think about yeah it absolutely is. And um, what was quite a cool thing we did in rehearsal um, was, I think it was like at the end of the first week, we actually went to a convent outside of oh. Sydney and visited um, an order of nuns that was similar to the order that Maria, you know, is from in the, in the show, which is a closed order, which means that they don't um, go out into the public because depending on if, you know, People don't know Nun 101, depending on what mm. order of nun you are. Mm. Um, some nuns kind of go into the teaching. Some nuns go yeah. into, you know, uh, community service. And there's yeah. different orders of nuns that do different things. So this order was a closed order. Okay. Which mm. meant that their main idea is to stay in and pray and that they believe that the power of prayer has a bigger effect on, you know, the world of community in, at large. Right. Which is the same as what Maria's order was okay. in in the show. I, I so, don't know um, the nun 101. Yeah. I, will, I will admit. <laughs> so you go. You and our listeners, Amy. I uh, <laughs> thank you for. I didn't know that. <laughs> my my pleasure. So we went there and we and we spoke to uh, these these women, these nuns who were fabulous. You know, we they allowed us to come in and were very gracious. They they like 
made this amazing spread of cakes for us. <laughs> and it was only um, the women from the cast that went along, mm. uh, plus uh, Mr. Casey, our musical director. And, uh, and they spoke to us about the dynamic that they had and the friendships that they have, the difficulties that they have, and the fact that some of them annoy each other and the fact that <laughs> yeah. they have the conflict resolution. And, and they were very open about it. And I think there was a what surprised all of us was their deep humanity and the mm. fact that, you know, their relationship to their, to God and, and that was primaries to them, but actually community serving each other and getting through the day was incredibly important as well. And mm. I see that resilience and that kind of commitment and that, that idea of service and, um, and, and serving yourself is the best way to then serve others, you know, mm. is uh, loving them, you know, yourself and that idea is being really important. And that really kind of strengthened a lot, I think, for all of us in the cast too, as a kind of way yeah. of understanding that bond. Um, and, yeah, so all about the sisterhood. Yeah, I like <laughs> and it, it is the thing that in the show I think it's the way that there is a, the relationships between the women of the show with Maria Talisal mm. and even with the Baroness, there's no, you know, it's not, the film makes more of the competition between Maria and the Baroness than the, yeah, the a musical love, does. Yeah. Yeah. And the musical is, a, it's actually kind of a really different thing. It becomes idealist uh, about ideology more mm-hmm. than anything mm. else and priorities and community again. Yeah. Um, a and it's wonders, not about this sort of. Like I, a part of me wonders yeah. how much like the, um, the movie execs were like, well, there's not enough spicy romance and female rivalry in here, so let's play <laughs> up the, the love triangle between Maria and the captain and the Baroness. Yeah, I have a feeling that that's the direction they wanted yeah. to go in. And <laughs> it really isn't It really isn't that um, in in the show as much. And I, I think that that's really important too. You know, it, it's sort of not about that that idea of sex appeal or anything else mm. it becomes mm. about values and yeah. and what that core idea is i mean it's super wholesome it does did make it kind of easy to play and easy to i mean it's never hard to look marina prior in the eye and you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's the greatest thing ever uh but you know it, it did make it really clear that the show was about like a these people having values and following through on them mm. and mm. not playing any kind of uh, anything that will cut anyone else down. Yeah. Aside from the Nazis, we're very happy to cut the Nazis we, down. We and yeah, the Nazis they down. were, that was very Whenever clear. you can. Yeah. We, we hear <laughs> yep. feminism ruins everything are anti-Nazi. Um, yes. I don't think that's Fabulous. a bold statement. <laughs> Something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast is the fact that we get a bit frustrated in musical in the musical theater canon that, that it's this big trope that you like sing one love ballad with someone and then you're in love bam congratulations <laughs> and how that's not how it makes it seem like attraction and relationships are so much more about just like instant sex appeal than it is about like common values and mutual respect and i i think that there's a bit of there's a real slow burn 
between Maria and the captain in Sound of Music. And I think that that kind of flips that trope on its head. And actually, like you said, it really shows that um, their relationship is is built on so much more than like chemical attraction and sex appeal. Like it's about it's about mutual respect and and common values. Yeah, it really is. It's it's you know the the seeds are planted. He starts to be attracted to her because she stands up to him and yeah. because she tells him about his children in a way that you know mm. rekindles his idea of fatherhood and parenthood and um and then there's also the magical power of dance obviously oh, yep, that does, yes. does help um <laughs> and you know their sense of nationhood they, mm-hmm. they, yes they're yeah. both they're, you know love of austria does help too mm-hmm. um Edelweiss but yeah everyone <laughs> do do a lendler find your love um <laughs> and then and then, yeah, you, you sort of do see that, that um, you're right. Like it, it becomes, they actually do say that they are into each other before they sing the love ballad as yeah. well. Yeah, yes, so exactly, yeah. They do, they, there's, that happens and then they sing something good, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a lovely song. It is beautiful. And, um, and then you get the big wedding which is slightly conflicting because the nuns do sing how do you solve a problem like Maria <laughs> at the wedding. Um, by, uh, by putting her in a position of submission yeah. and uh, making her submissive to a man. That's how, just apparently. A, just, a little bit of, just a little bit of shade at the end there. But I, you know, again, just shows that they all have a sense of humour. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, the nuns um, you know, loved her for being the, the kook that she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you solve a problem like Maria is marry her off, I guess. Yes. <laughs> which which is the slightly problematic, you know, that, that's that's where you're like, oh, okay, that problem solved, off we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, see ya, see ya, we uh, did it. So, something that uh, stood out to to us when we were uh, re, re-watching Sound of Music is that Maria is so um, uh, strong and forthcoming and, and honest and open uh, throughout the whole musical up until the point where she and the captain get married, at which point she's very much, you know what, whatever decision you make, that's the one we'll go with. And yeah. How? Yeah. How there's was also it? the specific Ooh. lyrics in 16 going oh. on 17 reprise that we hate. <laughs> <laughs> that um, you'll, you'll belong to him. It's like it. It seems. It almost seems like there's a there's a huge shift in Maria at the moment that she uh, she gets married. This is that. Oh, I. <laughs> I wouldn't say we changed that. Well, I. I, I don't. I, I like. I'm, say, I really hope that you did. And I have this weird. I have this weird feeling that Peter Casey, bless him. Mm-hmm. Mm got us to change that. Well, Asked if I we saw, wanted to, Steph I saw, Jones and I. I think we did. That's amazing. I saw That's a production of Sound of Music last year in Adelaide, which was um, Emma Knight's Productions. It was, it was an amazing show, <laughs> like like on location. Um, at a monastery, and it was oh. it was really really cool. It was like outdoor oh, sound of music. That's my dream. That's it was so, it was 
such a good idea. Yeah, it was so sick. And it was like January and I got so sunburned in the audience. <laughs> um, but basically, it, it, was a, it was a really stunning production. And um, Megan Doherty, who played Maria, I, is also like a hardcore feminist. And I think... Um, I actually cheered when I heard this. In that reprise, instead of singing You'll Belong to Him, she changed it to You'll Belong With Him. With? I think yeah. I did that. Yeah. I think we did that. Yeah, and I, I think cheered. that that... I think we did that because that's weird. I haven't thought about it at all, mm. but I'm, I do have this vague recollection. I should have texted Steph beforehand, but I'm pretty sure that that's what we did because it was... Yeah, for the same reason. It just didn't feel right. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like Maria. We just decided that that would be okay. And the Rogers and Hammerstein people came and visited the show when we were in Perth and they didn't say anything, so I yeah. think we got away with it. Um, one syllable. Yeah, one syllable <laughs> yeah. changes everything. Um, but not too much the source so, material. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And look, it's, it is a thing where... She does. She she puts on a, a smart tailored suit jacket, and things got a little bit less mouthy at that point. She got a little yeah. bit less independent. Um, yeah. But the show does. You know that is the point where the stakes get pretty high um, mm. in terms of what's going on with the Nazis, and I do think that the what is interesting though is all the groundwork that Maria laid does um, become very valuable you know they do mm. use the power of song to be their ruse it is their plan yeah it does get them ahead and they choose to you know all of that work that she created by uniting the family means that they do get through it all together so yeah it is it is tricky she doesn't seem to be as involved and it's um yeah it is a, it is a kind of a slightly strange yeah. time yeah. i do remember feeling that but yeah mm-hmm. a little part of me feels like rogers and hammerstein got like three quarters of the way through writing the musical and they were like oh, it's tiring writing such a strong female lead let's just <laughs> <laughs> let's just tone her down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that seems to be that fatigue. I think the same fatigue happened in uh, South Pacific as well. Mm-hmm. You get Nally okay. kind of going all the way through, and then you know she sings. You have to be carefully taught. And you're like, oh, so close, so close, so <laughs> close. Yeah, but almost. also at the same time, like props to Rogers and Hammerstein. Like they, I think Sound of Music is far and away their least problematic show, um, and yeah. like I think they. A lot of their stuff is a product of the time period in which they were writing it. But I think at the same time, like, Maria is such a strong female lead. She's such a powerhouse. She's such a vehicle role. And the fact that like Ellis and I were talking before, like, in, in the movie, the first man doesn't appear until, like, 20 minutes in. And, like, the first yep. three or four scenes in the show alone pass the Bechtel test. And it's like, this is yeah. this is a pretty, like... This is a pretty feminist work for something that was written in the I want to say fifties, sixties, fifties, sixties. Yeah, by two um, by two men. Fifty nine was when it premiered on Broadway. Right, fifty nine. Yeah, it was won the won won the Tony in fifty nine. I think. Yeah, um, that's right. Um, yeah. Rightly so, but it just uh, rightly so. 
Yeah, it, it kind of, uh, it's, it's a funny one to me because they, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a sort of least troublesome show. Mm. Um, and yeah, I guess it depends on what your relationship to religion and what you yeah. feel. Yeah. You know, I think that it's a shame. There's no, there's no option C. She's either a nun or she gets married. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that's, they're the two, two kind of strongest ideas for her. Yeah. Um, Both of which but are she really does like go into it willingly. Patriarchal kind of yes yeah pathways yeah. yeah i mean the you know conversely you know you've got the baroness who is a single wealthy woman who yeah. kind of does what she wants including yeah. up, up to and including liking the nazis but um <laughs> Ooh, let's not feel well, no she doesn't do actually that. she doesn't no exactly no. she doesn't like them she's just like quote unquote the song that's not in the film there's mm. no way to stop it so she's, yeah. she's just kind of doing she's that. She's a bit indifferent. She would be an all lives matter person right about now. <laughs> like the Baroness mm. would be like, why aren't mm. all lives important? Yeah. Maria. You Baroness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also yeah, you're right. She look, is a very um, like empowered female character mm. as well. Yeah. yeah she, she, she can do what she wants. She yeah. travels freely. She's got no, um, she doesn't need the captain she just enjoys his company she's mm. she's got taste she's got um you know she is in charge of her money yeah mm. uh helps uh, that she so has there's, a lot of you know, economic privilege that, to back that up that yeah. does help exactly right yeah. <laughs> exactly right so you know we are you gotta wonder what then happens to the the children and i think that there's a fantastic you know if you look then to the generation ahead um, there is a bit of consolation to Liesl that, you know, her her life will begin once she finds a man. So there's that slight problem. Mm-hmm. But the other girls in the family, you know, Brigitte is very intelligent and that is encouraged in her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we sort of like that. You know, we see that Brigitte is the smarts of the children. She's, mm-hmm. she's got the upper hand on the boys mm-hmm. of the family. The boys aren't kind of brought up as being the lead, you know, that... Yeah. That they're not going. I mean, the film again, Friedrich has a bit more to do at the end than yeah. um, he does in the show. Uh, so there's, there's there's slight differences. But um, yeah, I think that the children are all seen as quite equal. And yeah. Um, yeah. that's good too. Yeah. Speaking of the children, we wanted to ask you because you've obviously worked with a lot of young actors in like this production and also. Like in School of Rock, like they're a massive. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Children's cast. Kids everywhere. Um, kids everywhere in, in both of those shows. Um, so you obviously engage with, um, like, in performing with and also performing to a lot of young people, a lot of young women and girls, name-dropping here slightly, including the gorgeous 
Alicia Hammond, who is in the Adelaide cast of Sound of Music, um, who is one of my singing students and is an absolute blessing. Um, <laughs> hi, Alicia, if you're listening, I hope you are. Um, you obviously are somebody that all of these young women would, would look up to because, you know, in terms of your career just as a music theatre performer, you're, you're a picture of success in a very trying industry um, and in, in both of the, your, uh, both uh, Maria and Sam Music and also in School of Rock, you're you know, in essentially the lead female roles. So you're something that I'm sure a lot of these young women who are hoping to forge a path in this industry look up to and also you're a lovely human being so um for, for that reason as well um but we were just curious whether whether that's something that weighs on you and whether you go I know that I have influence and um and and a bit of a role model to to these people and especially to these young women um whether that's something that you think about and whether you um you adjust accordingly in any way to say, I want to be the best role model that I can be to these young people? It is something I value. Mm. I don't see it as a burden. I quite, right. <laughs> I, I like it. I, yeah. think I mean, if you were a terrible um... person, it would probably burden you. <laughs> um, but I'd be like, oh God, I'm setting a terrible example for these kids. It helps that you're living your life in a quite an admirable way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something that I, even in this last week and a half, I've been reflecting on, you know, in, in the way, in the conversations that's been happening yeah. um, mm. in, the, in, our, in our world. And I, I think it's it can you can go one of two ways i don't think i've been a particularly strong activist online um yeah ever uh and i uh i've been thinking about that a little bit in this last week and because i in my personal life have a lot of feelings and a lot of opinions yeah and um (laughs) Love and I don't, thing. you know, I haven't, I haven't had that necessarily, you know, um, urge to share that on social media. I'm mm. not really sure what social media does in that context. I think that mm. that's that thing of being like slightly older than some people that kind of really wield it for their, you know, every kind of thought and feeling. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm probably yeah. a bit more old school. More um, generation thing. You guys, yeah, and... I, but I've been questioning it a lot because for that exact reason where I think, you know, I don't by no means have a big, like massive Instagram following or Twitter following because I'm not particularly good at cultivating it for a start. But I do value the fact that of the people that follow me in bulk are probably following me because of um, what I've done in musical theatre and that. And I do quite honestly think about what that impact would have on younger performers or aspiring performers that follow me. And it's been, it's been a kind of confronting thing because I'm like, Oh no, maybe, maybe it is time for me to speak a bit more to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for that exact reason that, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time caring about opinions and, mm-hmm. and see what's going on in the world. And, um, I may have more of a responsibility than I thought mm-hmm. to share those ideas. Uh, but in terms of um, how it goes in 
work in, in this workspace. I, I really value when I get told by a younger performer that they look up to me. Um, mm -hmm. I think thankfully I am pretty straight laced at work. It's not very hard work for me to <laughs> Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, to consider. Like, be swearing at the children. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I'm, I, I don't think I have a hidden Miss Hannigan. So yeah. I think, <laughs> I think for the most part, what they, what they see is, is, is the genuine me. And, yeah, and I think that that's, um, I, and I, I, I value that. I feel like it, I'm, I'm thankful that it's, it's, it's not hard work, mm -hmm. but beyond that, I do see it as important and, um, that I, I am like that because of the example that I had seen in yeah. other yeah. people ahead of me, um, from a really young age, not necessarily like I didn't do musicals, um, professionally or anything, but I did a lot of amateur stuff. Yeah. I also yeah. like played in orchestras and I think that that kind of mentorship and fellowship and the, is so wonderful and is so much a part of why we get into these things. Yeah. It's not yeah. about, for me, it was never about who I YouTubed. It was about the people that I saw in my town yeah. that mm -hmm. were yeah. doing the stuff that I wanted to do. Exactly. And it becomes, again, pretty local pretty quickly, I think, when you have those examples. So I've, I've always been keen there ever since I was even in high school. I... I think that we we do owe it to our younger versions of ourselves to mm. to be you know hold ourselves to good standards and yeah. um, and it means on both you know on both sides I think the part that I've, I'm learning more and more is that it's important for them to not see you as a automaton like if if you are having a bad day it's important to you know, you don't have to be this sort of necessarily up, up, up figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like, oh, I mean, there's nothing like, I was going to say, sorry. Um, it's not like they're going to look up to you and be like, oh, when I'm as successful as Amy Palmer, my life's going to be perfect. Yeah. It's yeah. silly to, I mean, yeah. I hope they don't think that. Um, but <laughs> I, I, but you know, there's nothing like being in China at a breakfast buffet with, <laughs> with, with kids every day to kind yep. of like really ground you <laughs> and for them to see that you are having a bad day and yeah. the kind of gorgeousness of the fact that that you have no filter after a couple <laughs> of months of that mm -hmm. um and you know that's that there's a bunch of kids that have probably seen me in my not best state and they <laughs> still told me at the end of the season that they valued my work so oh, there are the very yeah. good liars for, um, <laughs> but, I, you know, but I but that it means a lot it means a lot to get that, that kind of feedback um and to be aware that I am being observed um is something mm. I take very seriously mm. yeah something that you touched on just then which I think is something that we've kind of wanted an in to talk about on this podcast is the idea that there's no one right way to be an activist. Like we, I think what's something we've been seeing a lot recently, like around the um, the fact that the Black Lives Matter movement has come to the forefront of public attention is the fact that there's been a lot of infighting amongst people who are trying to be allies to people of color saying, oh, that's, that's not the right way to do it. Oh, if you post something like that, 
what's that going to do? Or, oh, I can't believe you haven't been super active on social media about this when in actual fact, you know, you've been, you've been letting your actions speak for you. Mm. Um, so I think what you've touched on there, Amy, is so important. The fact that, you know, just because you're not a really active person on social media doesn't mean that you can't engage in activism if you're in your everyday life. You, like you have a circle of influence beyond the circle of influence that you have online. Yeah, you do. Absolutely. And I think first and foremost, how we go about our daily lives and where we choose to put our money is super important, where we Mm -hmm. choose to put our energy is super important. Uh, The media we, you know, Mm -hmm. consume and the, those kinds of choices on that, on that level day to day are so super important. And it's not all of our instincts to show our work in that way. Um, And I guess that's, and that's fine and good. And I think it's just, it's just in a time like this when it is really peaking um, and the volume's up really high, it is really difficult to navigate for, for us that, you know, you've, I was trying to, um, I've been trying to consider what it is and it's, and it is that difference, you know, that a lot of fantastic writers have put into perspective, particularly with race. It's not enough to be um, non-racist. You need to be anti-racist. So the difference in that kind of idea of being active in your uh, allyship. Um, And that to me is, that's been a really triggering thought and it's that, uh, of what is my allyship? How do I mm-hmm. yep. navigate it? Does it mean online stuff? And I'm still unsure about that because yep. I do also think that for the amount of um, that I'm consuming at the moment, I'm really enjoying hearing from the people who's who are being directly affected by this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that this, this is a time to allow that to those voices. Um, to speak loudly um, and to constantly, it's like, you know, having a conversation with someone who's saying, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. Yeah. Like, what well, are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if you have to kind of constantly tell people you're listening. But, um, you know, it's it's that difference, um, listening to understand versus listening to respond. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think... Uh, signposting when you've understood something is valuable uh, and sharing is valuable uh, but if it's not what kind of if you feel a kind of weird sense about it it's also important to ask yourself why do you feel that weird Mm. sense about it is because you're unsure is it because you feel uncomfortable do you prefer you know we've just got to go gently with each other I think in this way because there's no there is no right way so long Mm -hmm. as you if you're engaging with it you know not looking away is the worst thing you could do yeah look it's a very roundabout way of saying yeah absolutely and um and I think that we you know we a lot of us myself included um I think we're feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because these aren't new issues and these are things we've been aware of, but that we've been able to shelf, you know, yeah. that, that, that there's a peak and we think about it and then we can put it away because it has yeah, exactly. no, 
seemingly has no bearing on my day-to-day life yeah. and then in this like as it's gotten louder it's just that thing when you learn a new word and that word gets all of a sudden that word gets mm-hmm. repeated six times that week and you start yeah. to put that word into your vocabulary and that's what it feels like now it's like it's sticking now and it does require change and it does require more than just that passing attention mm-hmm. um and it always has required that and i do feel like I want to shift my patterns of behavior and I'm, I, I'm ready to do that and how that transfers online or I'm not sure yet, but I know that there's probably going to be a change coming and beyond that to tie it in before I, I do that knowing that I do have younger eyes on me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I do that with, you know, Gratitude for that and also responsibility of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting to be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement when Sound of Music is 100% white. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's a product of the fact that it's set in Austria in the 1940s Mm. or like late 1930s. So like, fair enough. (laughs) But we've also Mm -hmm. talked on this podcast a fair bit, Amy, about the fact that... um, we we kind of are on the fence about it and we we would actually seek your perspective on this um about presenting period pieces in the modern day how much of an obligation that we feel as um as people who hold progressive values and who want to use our art forms to um to progress society i mean i'm i'm putting words in your mouth but um <laughs> I would imagine that as a as somebody that holds progressive values, that's something that you would want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, um, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I, in our sound of music, um, we did have children's casts that weren't Anglo-Saxon white. Cool. And, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, uh, just, yeah. And that, was great you know it, it just it had no real like bearing on anything because yeah. they were fantastic you know they, yeah. but it was just that thing they they didn't have to be from a casting perspective mm. Aryan blonde yes. yeah um, <laughs> and also uh, like you sit there and go you know that the audience is looking I guess the argument is like oh but they all have to look like siblings they all have to look like they've got the same genetic makeup but then yeah, the, the sure. audience yeah. the audience know that these seven kids and this guy that's playing the captain are not related like you already have to suspend yeah. that disbelief <laughs> yeah. knowing that they're actors so like you can suspend it that that tiny notch further to be like okay yeah, i can recognize it's... that you don't look similar but i can pretend you're siblings <laughs> for four hours absolutely i mean look it it's yeah. I, I really don't know where, where to, what what the implications are because it really is, it's just, it should just be best person for the job gets the job. Um, yeah. I mean, in the American, whichever TV station did the Sound of Music Live, yeah. uh, Audra McDonald's The Mother Abbess. Oh, yes. um, wonderful. Which is a case of best person best you know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It's, and like with all due respect to that what, production was the saving grace 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yes. So, you know, but it just, I, and I, what I love about that too is that I'm pretty sure I read um, an interview with Audra at some point who spoke about one of the first times she realised the implications of race in casting was when she couldn't be in The Sound of Music as a child. Oh, um, wow. well, that's a nice full circle moment. And yeah, yeah I'm, I, I really hope that that isn't something I've imagined, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that is that was something that she spoke about. Hmm. And it just, you just go, yeah, it doesn't, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm pretty, like, I know that the fact that I'm um, blonde is part of the reason why I was Maria. Mm, um, yeah. Cause people look and, at you and go, I can make the link that you kind of look like Julie Andrews. No worries. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm probably, you know, and to, to be like, you know, my bad dad was born in Austria. So like oh, really? oh, I, yeah. um, so, you know, <laughs> like the casting people didn't know that. But, um, <laughs> you know, Put it at link. the top of your CV. Um, <laughs> Just letting you know. Fun link. It, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, but it's, um, but it, it, it by no means, like, really is that relevant or important. Mm. Uh, I think, look, it's a funny thing with audiences, though. I don't know that the audience, oh, gosh, do I really want to say this? I was about to say, I don't know that the audience knows best. Um, sometimes <laughs> I think we've just yeah. got to put what we want. I think it's producers and casting directors putting forward something and being confident in it. And if they're confident in it, yes. The audience will also be confident in yeah, it because yeah. you. What I learned more on the sound of music more than any other show that I've been in is that you cannot please everybody. Oh no! Um, and and it's really difficult. But if your producing teams behind you, your cast is behind you, your musical, you know, the show is well directed and feels um, good. You will always mm. feel good, and for the most of the audience they will also feel good but there will always be someone that writes to the show facebook group the maria was too funny and i didn't like it (laughs) which is the true thing that happened Uh, how dare Um, you look if the criticism that you're getting is that you're too funny yeah that's you're doing fine yeah and rather that than she was too bland i didn't laugh once well (laughs) so weird it was the weirdest thing, but it's also the lesson of if you're an actor, don't ever read the Facebook no. page of the show that you're in. Don't ever, don't do that. You but I did. And, folks, um, yeah, don't do it. It's, it's just, it's difficult. Um, and yeah, don't, Maria Mary was too funny was definitely one. And the other one, which is, again, amazing to me is when I'd walk out of stage door, I'd often don't get recognised. I don't know what I look like on stage, but it's not like, how right, I look obviously because right. when people see me in real life they don't yeah people don't have any idea yeah. <laughs> um and I would some but sometimes I'd walk off stage door and be um have my hair out and I would have members of the public say oh thank god that wasn't your real hair in reference to my wig <laughs> so that's brutal uh, this is a weird backhanded so, compliment there you actually have nice it's, hair but it looks dumb on stage yeah <laughs> well and it's like a short hair thing i don't know um <laughs> it's it's strange it's a really strange thing so when we talk about like you know the audience not minding i'm not sure about that i don't know 
sometimes mm. there are some people especially with when source material is so important to them yeah, and yeah, like they're coming to music, you know another yeah. criticism of the sound of music that i remember reading was that the um nazi bit was too too heavy-handed so uh yeah hard to lighten that up really <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> like hard yeah, to make so light of that situation you know, mm. I'd actually it like to, it I prefer so you... to not be reminded of Nazis <laughs> at my night out at the theatre. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of it. So you you can't please everybody, mm. but you can try and bring as much integrity as you can yeah, in the performer yeah. and try to never read the Facebook page. Yeah, good call. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's something interesting about like not being able to please your audience is that when you look at the demographics of people in Australia who are able to afford to go to the theatre and are, like, I guess, culturally aware enough that, you know, that's even, like, a, an option to them, mm. um, are more likely to be white Australians, are more likely to be, especially for people going to see The Sound of Music over maybe something a bit more hard-hitting, with all due respect to the sound of music, um, <laughs> is that they might be people with who skew slightly having more conservative values and um, are more likely to be economically privileged. And I suppose when you try to imbue a slightly more progressive or like even like a new spin mm. on a really well-loved character like Maria cracking jokes, um, you know, you're you're not going to please everyone, especially when that audience would probably be happier seeing, like going to the theatre and seeing them play the film, like on a massive (laughs) screen. Like, yeah, especially when, you know, some of the progressive values that you're trying to put in your show um, might be at odds with more conservative viewpoints is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is it's a tricky line to tread and um, I suppose what you hope is that, you know, you're being truthful yeah. and as as much as possible and as the performer, my goodness, I could be nowhere without the audience or any yeah. audience yeah. and um, by no means do I mean to like, in my comments, too. yeah, like, We don't have an industry yeah. without an audience, yeah. We don't have an Israeli audience. We don't have, you know, shows without a marketplace that determines what they want to see yeah. and mm-hmm. something that's very successful. And, you know, we 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 can be righteous as much as we want, but that it is important that we are delivering shows that people want to see. And um, it's not always going to be Sondheim or it's not always going to be the, the Sorry, new thing. But <laughs> I think it's all about kind of a, a broader diet and it's important, you know, as the performer to hold true to the work, hold true to yourself mm. and um, and to not read the Facebook comments. <laughs> 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 um, no, it's, it's, yeah, I, you know, I think that there was um, that the other interesting thing about, you know, theatre and what I did think about as well was like a lot of people that might have seen The Sound of Music um, on stage probably have only ever watched it on their yeah. VHS rewound tape yeah. many yeah. times. They've never And they have never experienced it with strangers next to them who laugh at bits mm. that yeah, they, exactly. you know, or have like a connection to it. And 
And we forget sometimes mm. when we are in the live experience, and this will probably, like, it'll be a strange thing post-COVID as well, that the part of the theatre is being annoyed by the person behind you <laughs> too, too badly or, yeah, yeah. you know, or the phone going off. Like, it is actually this community experience yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the community experience is um, you buying tickets, taking a friend hoping the friend likes it because yeah. you know and you, you watch it through that lens as well like yeah. there's so mm. there's a lot of expectation there's mm. a lot of money being put in it's an investment and as a performer like I am I am incredibly grateful to the audience for that I just um I suppose hope more it's more often the case that people are moved and excited to experience something fresh when they go in and to try not yeah. to be too disheartened when that um, when the Marie there is a bit money. of a disconnect there. <laughs> yeah. I did my, all I wanted to do in that case, and I'm glad I didn't do it, but I did really want to was um, copy and paste the lyrics of how do you solve a problem like Maria yeah. um, as the comment, <laughs> because the, that was, you know, for me, that song, the lyrics of that song, you know, what we are always told um, and you tell any young actor is, the best way to learn about your character is one of the best ways is to see what other people say about your character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a whole song before yeah. you, you know, get, <laughs> really get to know her that tells you about her. She climbs a tree and scrapes her knee. Her dress has got a tear. Like that's okay. Immediately. She's a hot mess. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and physically boisterous and, and she's, they, make up words flippity gibbet like they can't even describe her they mm-hmm. need like made up weird words to describe yeah. her a whisper and a clown that was the one yeah. that was particularly important to me and she's a clown she has that yeah but you know interestingly when I read that felt a bit weird I'm like oh maybe I'm being a bit of a ham oh gosh and then I went wait that actually helped me yeah. to go back and and think about that and go no yeah. that's why I did it and justify I've got, your choices I know yeah, yeah you know and we that's me being a good um good woman with agency myself yeah. at being able to <laughs> figure that out all out mm-hmm. um and you know understand that it's uh I guess part of it part of the process isn't it that we can't yeah. please everyone but if you, you do, do it with can. integrity yeah, you do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Amy, I think that is a wonderful place to to wrap up our conversation. Thank you so much for for coming and joining us and contributing your time and your insight and your expertise into into something that's very important, uh, obviously, to mm. you and to to all of us. You're a blessing My in our lives, pleasure. Amy Lapama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so really much. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Big love and take care, everyone out there. Thanks, Amy. Take care, Amy. See you later. See ya. Bye. So uh, at the end of that discussion, Mim, do we rate or ruin Sound of Music? To be perfectly honest with you, Ellis, I actually think I rate it. And I did not think that I was going to rate a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. And, like, I appreciate that obviously there's there's no queer representation. There's no representation of people of Mm colour. And... I know we, we sort of alluded to it in our discussion with Amy, but I, I think that in period pieces like that, you can almost forgive that 
Um, but also, like, it's it's in a familial environment as well. I mean, you probably could argue that Max is queer representation. Like, I've seen Max played very camp before. But but he's not, yeah. like, an openly queer man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't be. He runs a festival, Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I get that there's no queer representation. There's no... People of color representation, but uh, but it's also. But, I mean, this this is a this is an outdated piece, and it I mean is the, an the piece. voices at the forefront of uh, of creating pieces uh, in that time were predominantly white men. Yeah, and I mean, so still, much has changed. Still, still gay white men usually, like some Cole, of them. Cole Porter, Cole Porter is one. Yeah, but also like creatives since the dawn of time have been more likely to be queer. Because I've learned this from Josh Belperio, oh. um, because uh, queer men don't feel that they have enough validation within themselves, they search for a lot of external validation, and you get a lot more external validation in the arts. Wow. Which is like there's, yeah. there, there are theories that like the gay gene, I say in inverted commas, aren't um, like is associated with being artistic. No, oh. it's it's more likely the fact that it's a socialization thing where you go, I'm going to get applause <laughs> so if I'll I go into the, the arts. arts. Okay. Hence my comment about, you know, Max being a festival Thank curator. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I was saying it, it is, it is, um, it's the oldest piece that we've covered so far on the, yeah, uh, by, by a fair bit other than like, like Greece would have come a few about, decades afterwards, yeah. but yeah, it's definitely the oldest piece. But, but even so, like a lot of, a lot of the things written in that time were very, uh, heteronormative and very uh, yes. white centric. Yes, uh, like I, but, but I don't... for its time, having a woman in that much of a central role and yeah. being, and being at the forefront of that narrative and making it very much her narrative, mm. very rare. Maybe like Mama Rose in Gypsy, but which, that... which I think was also at the same time. Was it? I think fifties. Like uh, yeah, it was. Okay. It was late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, like that's the only other thing I could. Like, obviously, that's just off the top of my head. I yeah, could, I could go and do some more research. Well researched. Feminism ruins everything. Discussion <sighs> you right know here. Us. Uh, but uh, I, I, th- I think I agree with you. I'm willing. I'm willing to rate. Yeah. Uh, of music on the most part. I do think that as we discussed, as soon as Maria gets married. All the kind of feminism goes out the window. Yeah. But uh, if I think you it, have a raging feminist like Amy La Palma playing it, that might be uh, yeah. less of a comment. <laughs> that, that might be less of a problem. Less of an issue. Yeah. But I do, I do think that it, in that respect, it kind of suffers from the same thing that My Fair Lady suffers from, Ooh. in that it like it's it's doing so well and then just like trips over the mm. landing. Um, Maybe we can settle on like being on the fence about it. Yeah. Like, there are some really strong feminist merits. And some there are that, some people that are just not remotely represented in this. Yeah. And, you know, there are a few plot points that you're like... There's also the entirety of the song 16 going on 17. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit belittling. Anyway. You are 16 going on 17. Fellows will fall in line. Also, Innocent as a Rose. Also, what else is there? Are there probably... Oh, uh, yeah. I'll depend on you. There's something else. Um, There's a bunch. I'll take care. Of you, maybe Lisa can take care of herself, Rob. Think of that, bud. <laughs> on that thank, happy note. On that happy note. Thank you so much to listening uh, to our podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, chuck us a rating. Chuck us a comment. Let us know if it we're too feeds funny. Our ego. <laughs> Let us know if we're too funny. <laughs> uh, that's an issue for some people. Apparently. I really hate when my podcasts are too funny. Personally, yeah, I don't I'll, like being entertained. I'll be, um, I'll be speaking to the feminism ruins everything in 
uh, on Facebook about it. It's too funny. Uh, if they did want to comment on <gasps> Facebook, where would they do that? Well, uh, on Facebook, we are currently Feminism Ruins Everything, colon, a feminist podcast. But I have considered changing it to the It's a Feminist Podcast being our catchphrase, uh, which you heard Amy the Palmer say at the start of the episode. How <laughs> funky was that? Um, in parentheses. So I'm just future-proofing this episode that just in case I do change it, You'll find it at either one of those names. But we're called Feminism Ruins Everything, some form of our catchphrase after the fact. <laughs> um, and on Instagram, we are at Feminism Ruins Everything pod. And we really like engaging with our listeners on our social media platforms. So find us there. And also a uh, shout out to all of our patrons who are very generous Thanks, uh, in supporting us. If you'd Seriously. like to become a patron, yes. uh, please check us out. Yeah, we are on, on Patreon. We are... Think patreon.com forward slash feminism ruins everything pod. Future Ellis, can you please fact check me? Uh, we'll, we'll just have a link in the description we so, will, we so will Future Ellis a, doesn't have to do as much work. We will, yeah. Future Ellis, because he's. Present Ellis is lazy, so Future Ellis will also be lazy. Future Ellis will be mad. He'll be like, damn it, Ellis, you could have just checked it. Um, well, at least I didn't say fuck. Maria! I can give him more work. <laughs> um, we also just want to reiterate. Um, Diversify the media that you're consuming. Uh, seek out some black voices and queer voices and trans voices specifically mm-hmm. at the moment because, oh boy, the black black tra- trans people or people of color who are trans have been dragged through the mud recently. Um, so yeah. seek out their voices. We've put in the description of this episode some uh, podcasts made by people of color that you can access that we'd recommend to you. On that note, thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye. It's a feminist podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.